There are a lot of things that I experience as a parent of four kids. Uh, but one of them is that I am constantly putting out fires, constantly putting out fires. Now, uh, about a year ago, we literally were putting out fires. Ryland decided that it would be a good idea, that is our oldest one, decided it would be a good idea to see uh, how flammable hand sanitizer was. Figured out it was flammable. Then he decided to let Ethan learn the same lesson and said, hey, Ethan, wouldn't it be cool if you put hand sanitizer on your hand and put it over a flame and see if it will jump? And it jumped. That's right. That's right. That's what I'm living with. That's right. So I need your mercy and your grace. I need all that. I need your pity. That's what I'm living with. So literally, sometimes you're putting out fires. But you know what it's like to, to raise kids or maybe to just have to deal with coworkers or live in an environment where... Things are not stable. Sometimes it feels like you're just constantly putting out fires. Well, that's much of how Paul felt with many of these early churches, that he was constantly having to put out little fires. He was having to correct them here, encourage them here, have them change direction this way or that. And he was trying to do that in these letters, each one of them. And we're in this letter to the Philippians. And we know that these, this group of Christians faced some challenges. They were suffering. We knew that. We know they're suffering. They were facing some of the same suffering that Paul was facing. We know that there was divisions among them. We know that there was some infighting, some tension. Uh, we know that there were even two women that were fighting among one another. And even at the beginning of chapter 2, which we just did two weeks ago, we noted that Paul says, I want you to strive together in one mind, of the same heart, full of the same spirit, so that you can advance the gospel, even in the middle of your suffering. And why would he have to tell them that? Because we know there was divisions among them. Suffering and divisions. And he had to put out those little fires, even in this letter. Had to help redirect them and correct them and bring some encouragement. Well, in this next section, as we step into chapter 3, we're going to see that there's another fire that he's got to put out among the Philippians. There's another challenge in front of them that he has to address. And so we're going to pick up with verse 1 and immediately see that Paul has something to say about this challenge in front of them. Philippians 3.1. We'll jump into this next section of the letter. Paul writes this, Further, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. And now it is no trouble for me to write the same things to you again, and it is a safeguard for you. It's really important what's going on there. Now, usually we hear this rejoice, and we think that's the key. For Paul, it's not just rejoice, it's rejoice in the Lord. And that's going to be very important with what Paul wants to do in this section of the letter. He's going to want to say something about who you rejoice in, where happiness is, where fulfillment is to be found. He's going to have something to say about it being in the Lord. Now, in all of that, we know that this is all for a safeguard. And he's doing this as something that's repetitive. So over and over again, he has said this to them as a way of keeping them safe. So there's something in the world of the Philippians that they need to hear again and again so that they will be kept safe. And we know, because of what's coming next, that this was a false teaching. That there is a teaching that is gone off course, that is pervading, at least making its way into this early group of Christians, and Paul has to continue to teach against it. 
And so he's going to repeat himself over and over again so that he can safeguard them from this false teaching. Now we're going to see what that false teaching was. It could have been many things, but he's going to identify it in the next verse. Here it is. Chapter 3, we now pick up verse 2, and we see now where the false teaching is. Verse 2, watch out for those dogs, those evildoers. Here it is. Those mutilators of the flesh. Those mutilators of the flesh. There's the marker. There's, there's the false teachers. So when Paul says mutilators of the flesh, that's just a few words right there. But there's a whole history behind those words. So there's a, this larger context. And so Paul, in shorthand, is, is just writing mutilators of the flesh. It's kind of like if I just said Biden-Harris you immediately bring to your mind a whole host of images. Or if I said, make America great again, immediately what happens? This whole range of meaning is brought to your mind. So when Paul says, mutilators of the flesh, there's this whole history and context he's pulling forward into the letter. Because when the gospel started to go out, when people started saying there was a Jewish man who was crucified, he is Israel's Messiah, well, that message primarily went first to the Jews. And when it went to the Jews, it, it hit that community in different ways. Some said, ah, the Messiah has fulfilled the law, therefore we only need faith. But there was a whole other group of people, of Jewish scholars, some Pharisees, who said, yes, He is our Messiah. They pointed at Jesus. They took His crucifixion, His resurrection to be true. But instead of fulfilling the law, they thought this Jewish crucified Messiah amplified the law. For them, Jesus did not fulfill the law. He came in and declared the law to be good. And so that means if you're going to come to the Messiah, you need to do everything the law says. It's like Jesus amplifies the Jewishness. So if you get the Jewish Messiah, the Jewish King, that means you get everything else Jewish thrown in. So when you come to Jesus, you have to be circumcised. You've got to keep Torah. You have to keep Sabbath, kosher laws, all of it's thrown in. So if you get the Jewish man, you get all the Jewish laws underneath him. That's how you're saved. Do you see how that might work? That if you, if you believe in the Jewish one, he doesn't remove Jewishness, he amplifies it. So what we see in the early years of the church is there's some people coming in saying, believe in this Jesus and keep all the laws of Torah. That's what they're saying. Now, you and I look at that and go, that makes no sense. It's just faith. Faith is what gets you salvation. But for them, they looked at Jesus and saw the Jewish one. And when the Jewish one is vindicated and brought back from the dead, it was God's way of saying, amplify all of the law. And so you make it greater. So when they preached Jesus, they said, come to the Jewish Messiah. He was crucified and rose from the grave Keep Sabbath, kosher, come to temple, and make sure you're circumcised. This caused a big stir in the church. This is a big problem. I want you to see what happens. Because we have this story, this story in the book of Acts, that tells all, some, at least some of that backstory. 
So when Paul writes mutilators of the flesh, which he is talking about those people that say you have to be circumcised to be saved, he has in his mind the experience of this story that's recorded in Acts 15. So take a look. Acts 15.1. Just take a look. Let's get the backstory. Acts 15.1. Certain people came down from Judea to Antioch, that is, from the area of Jerusalem to a non-Jewish area. Here's what they were saying. And they were teaching the believers, unless you are circumcised according to the custom taught by Moses, you cannot be saved. Then in verse 5, we see that Pharisees were even believers, which might be a little bit of a mind bend because it always seems like the Pharisees are the bad guys. But no, Pharisees, those who keep the law, also could believe in Jesus. Well, there becomes a problem. Verse 5, check out. We're just going to continue the backstory. Then some of the believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees stood up and said, the Gentiles must be circumcised and required to keep the law of Moses. Interesting. Now, they stand up at a particular meeting that's happening. It's often called the Jerusalem Council. So it's a bunch of Jewish men that have gotten together. They are leaders in this, early, this community of early Christians, and they're trying to figure out, is God going to let those non-Jews into this Jewish movement? And if so, we should probably have all of them be circumcised, right? So the Pharisees would say, yes. Bring them to Jesus and make sure they're circumcised, they keep kosher, they keep Sabbath, and they go to temple. You make sure they keep the whole law of Moses. And they're, they're in this council trying to figure out, what do you do? Then someone stands up, and he says, Ah, but I recently preached to a non-Jewish man, and God gave that man the Spirit of God, which tells us that God is now bringing in all those non-Jews, all those Gentiles into his fold. You know who that person was? It was Peter. Peter, he's the first one to preach a sermon to the Jews, and he's going to be the first person to preach a sermon to the non-Jews. He stands up right after the Pharisees say, you, those Gentiles got to be circumcised, and they got to keep the whole law of Moses. Here's what Peter says, Acts 15, 7 through 11. He's responding to the Pharisees. Verse, starting with verse 7, Acts 15. After much discussion... Peter got up and addressed them. Brothers, you know that some time ago God made a choice among you, that the Gentiles might hear from my lips the message of the gospel and believe. God, who knows the heart, showed that he accepted them by giving the Holy Spirit to them, just as he did to us. He did not discriminate between us and them, for he purified their hearts by faith. Now then, why do you try to test God by putting on the necks of Gentiles a yoke that neither we, that is we Jews, nor our ancestors, that's Jewish ancestors, have been able to bear. No, we believe it is through the grace of our Lord Jesus that we are saved, just as they are. You see what just happened there? Peter said, you don't, J Jesus now opens the way to all people. You don't have to go through circumcision. You now come by faith. So when Paul writes in Philippians... Stay away, be on watch for those dogs, evildoers, mutilators of the flesh. These are people that are literally telling other people to cut their flesh in a particular way that will make no difference. And when you cut yourself and it makes no difference, we call that mutilating. We call that damage, pain. It is a form of, of mutilating what is good. 
So Paul here has got a problem with telling people to do something that makes no difference. He calls it mutilators of the flesh. And Paul now is going to tell these Philippians, you don't need more Jewishness. You don't need to just elevate this this Jewish law. You don't have to elevate Torah. What you need is grace. Now, he could do what Peter did. He could, like, just say that. But what Paul is going to do is tell his autobiography. He's going to make this very personal. So watch what happens next. After he calls out these people saying you have to pick up the law of Moses, he's now going to tell them something different, but he's going to use his story, his story, to tell them what to do. Here's, here's, here we go. Philippians 3, we'll pick up with verse 3. We'll take it all the way to the end of the section here, verse 14. Pick up verse 3. For it is we who are the circumcision, we who serve God by His Spirit, who boast in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Uh, Though I myself have reasons for such confidence. Now, if someone else thinks that they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, well, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law, a Pharisee. As for zeal, persecuting the church. And as for righteousness, based on the law, faultless. For whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in Him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. Now, I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of His resurrection and participation in His sufferings, becoming like Him in His death, so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. Not that I've already obtained all this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that which for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind, straining towards what is ahead, I press on towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Paul there says what Peter said in the Jerusalem council. He does it with his own story. Paul wants to make sure that these people understand, these early Christians, many of them Jews themselves, that it would not be his Jewishness that he would lean on. It would be something else. Let me summarize it this way. We'll put up this this summary. Paul had one of the best Jewish pedigrees a person could have. He had all the right marks, but none of them made him right with God, his creator. There was only one mark that really mattered, and that was faith in the crucified Messiah. That was it. I mean, he had a lot of other things he could pick up. There were very few that could have picked up that many, that, that many accolades, those, that many marks, and put them forward. If you were going to be okay by being a Jew, if that's what made you good, well, golly, Paul had everyone in spades. But Paul would not claim this. There was a time when Paul put his Jewishness at the center of his life. That was the thing that made him okay. Paul has now put something else at the center of his life. You know how I would visualize that, don't you? Like if I had to like 
show you that in physical form, you know what I would do? I would pick up a, a piece of wood with Play-Doh on it. That's what I would do. And I would take a music stand and I'd put that, I would put that Play-Doh, that piece of wood with Play-Doh on it, and I would put it right here in front of you. That's how I'd visualize it. Because I think this is who we are. I think we're malleable. We, our souls can be shaped in all kinds of directions. And for Paul, he literally had marks on his body that defined who he was. Literally, he was a male. He was circumcised. He literally looked different because of his Jewishness, and that's who he was. But Paul, if you can imagine like an etch-a-sketch. I know I'm mixing images now, but just imagine if Paul with all of his Jewish marks, just went and shook the etch-a-sketch. And then it was left blank. You know what he did? He took then this crucified Messiah who rose from the grave after three days, and he took that Messiah, called by that Messiah, and he pressed his cross at the very center of who he was. And so for Paul, no more would he claim circumcision. I need to make that a little bit more. I just got to re. I don't know that I flattened that like I should have. No longer would Paul look at his Jewishness and say, I'm okay. He would look to Christ and say he was okay. He knew that he couldn't do all the rules, he couldn't accomplish all of the, all of the rites, he couldn't make all the correct sacrifices. It would be the, Christ, the cross and the cross alone. Paul realized how much he really was messed up and he came under the banner of this Messiah. And when he came to Jesus, it was by faith. And so what did he strain for? He strained to have the cross at the center. He strained for this. And this alone. This one thing he said, forgetting what is behind and pressing forward to what is ahead. It is the cross. It is to grab Jesus and all of him that he may know every part of it. This was so much imprinted into Paul's life that when he talked to other people, it just had a way of spilling out. You see, this is a man who could boast in lots of different things, especially his Jewishness, but Paul let go of it garbage. The word there literally is junk. It actually gets a little more graphic. We'll just hear, since we're, we're in church, we won't use any more graphic words. But the word Paul uses there is very graphic. For him, it is garbage in light of all that he gets in Jesus. And so when he wrote other letters, it just kind of spilled out because this was so deeply impressed at the center of who he was. And so when he wrote a letter like Galatians, and he gets right at the end, he spills out this image. I want you to see this. See this. He doesn't make it any more clear. Galatians 6, 12 through 14, he writes this. Those who want to impress people by means of the flesh, or they're trying to compel you to be circumcised. Now, the only reason they do this is to avoid being persecuted for the cross of Christ. Not even those who are circumcised keep the law, yet they want you to be circumcised that they may boast about your circumcision in the flesh. May I never boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Nothing else. Not one other thing. I will boast only in the cross pressed into my center. Because at the, the cross is where I'm okay. When I go away from the cross, I try to do everything on my own and I fail. And I fail miserably. 
I come to the cross. This is the key here. This is where Paul, this is what Paul puts at the center. Now, in case we, for, we don't, in case we, we forget, Paul never lets go of his Jewish identity. For Paul, he was still a Jew. He was still part of the people of Israel. He never lets go of him being a Jew. It's like you becoming a Christian and an American. You don't let go of your Americanness. Right? Paul never let go of being Jew, a Jew. Take just, just one passage, one passage, several we could go with. Romans 9, 3 through 4, just note what he says. He says, I could wish that I myself were cursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my people, those of my own race, the people of Israel. Paul still identifies as a Jew, but do you know what all the difference is? It's that now his Jewishness is not at his center, it's the cross. So if we had to summarize it, let's say it this way. What changed for Paul is that the marks of his Jewishness, especially his family line and his accomplishments, no longer defined him. Christ and his cross were pressed at the center of his life. That's what changed. That's what changed. So let's take that, that, all of that, some of that even a little heavier than usual, and let's just make some application. Let's bring it down to where we live. I got a warning and encouragement. I think we could pull these pretty easily from the passage. So the first one is this, a warning. Anything or anyone we put at the center of our lives besides Jesus will fail us. Listen, I'm pretty passionate about my wife. Like, pretty passionate. Like, I love her a lot. And I think she's super pretty. I'll just say that. Like, I am just really attracted to her, and I'm really into Tess. But one day, she may die. And so if I have made the center of my life Tess, what do I do when she is gone? Who am I now? Now, I don't know if I'm as passionate about being a parent, but I am a dad. <laughs> you remember we've talked about this? It's about all about putting out fires, right? Sometimes I don't want to be a firefighter, okay? But if I made being a dad everything, what happens if I lost all my children or one day they actually leave? That's really the goal, but let's just let's go with what would happen now. What would I do? What would I do if I lost all my kids? Well, how do, who am I now? If I put my whole life into being the best at my career, and then I lost it. Who would I be? I remember when I was trying to be the smartest person in the world working on my PhD. I remember thinking everyone would think I was great, and then I remember realizing I, would be, I was forfeiting my soul for that goal. And I remember stepping away from that, and now people know me as just Jason, not Dr. I had to really grapple with that in those early years. Well, then who am I if I'm not the smartest person in the world? If you think that is really arrogant, that's right. My level of arrogance can go pretty high. I might be able to match yours. All right. But do you see the point? If a sports team is everything to you, I'm telling you, depending on your sports team, it will fail you. I mean, the Redskins, or whatever they're called now. Washington. I'm so sorry, I shouldn't have done that. The Washingtons. I don't even know what to do with that. If the Washingtons are your team and that's who you are, will they fail you, George? They're going to fail you. They're going to fail you. You get the point. Whatever you put your life into, it will fail you if it's not Jesus. This does not mean you don't take pride in your work and you don't love what you do and you don't work hard. If you're in school and you're in virtual learning, if you are potentially in sixth grade, if that's who you are, work hard. 
Stay on that computer. I'm so sorry you have to do it, but you stay on that computer. I'm looking right at y'all. That's right. That's right. That's right. That's right. That's what Jesus will do. That's right. Okay, you get the point, though, that whatever else we put at the center, it will fail us. It will fail us. Okay, so here's the encouragement, though. Let me go with an encouragement. There's no barrier to come to Jesus. Listen, I hear stories all the time. It's just kind of the nature of the job. I've talked to a lot of people that have messed up in some really big ways. I have been with parents whose child did something very, very, very wicked and then did another wicked thing to someone else and both of them are no longer living and had to sit with those parents. You know what goes on in a parent like that? You can probably imagine, what did I do wrong? How did I fail? And yet you want to say there, Jesus will bring you in. Doesn't matter how you fail, Jesus will bring you in. I've talked to people that have done some really bad stuff themselves. And they're wondering, why would God ever take me? And that's exactly what Jesus is in the business of doing. He takes you in. And he just doesn't take you in like one time. Because if it was just one time, that's really not good news. It's when you fail today, when you raise your voice too high, when you snap at your parents with a smart aleck comment, okay? When you mess up, you keep coming back to Jesus because there is a, a never-ending well of forgiveness as long as you come back to Jesus. He doesn't let go of His people. And so, so for Paul, he finally grabbed the immense good news that he can come to God and be flooded with grace. That faith can cover a multitude of sins. That when the cross is at the center, there's no barrier. You don't have to do anything to your body. You don't have to mark it in some Jewish way. You don't, have to, you don't have to keep a certain set of laws. When you get Jesus, you get everything else thrown in. So if you want security, Jesus says, you come to me and I'll give you all the security you need. If you want happiness, you come to me and I'll give it to you. You try to grab it any other way, you're actually going to miss it. You see this? You want friends? Ah, there's a lot of friends in the kingdom of God. You get the point? No barriers. All right, that's when this is at the center. The cross is pressed at the center. All right, let's take a next step. We want to take this now, not just with some like more general application. We want to press it down to something we can do this week. Here's the next step. Find one way to put Jesus in front of your mind each day. This is not a call to a marathon. Often, when you have a powerful message about the cross, there's this call to complete life change. Like, change everything today, be a different person. And that doesn't mean God can't make a, a, a distinct change in a person where there is deep conversion. But habits have a way of staying in your flesh for a long time. So this is a matter of inner transformation. So the call here is to do one thing. So if you don't think about Jesus on a regular basis, you know I often say, write Jesus on a sticky note and put it on your bathroom mirror. Assuming you're healthy and you brush your teeth every day, in the bathroom, at your mirror, you're going to see Jesus. It kind of sounds funny. You're going to brush your teeth and see Jesus. That's kind of, yeah, sounds good. Might be able to sell that somehow. Bumper sticker that, I don't know. Sorry, I'm having an internal dialogue out loud. <laughs> Need to continue. Do you, see, do you see the point? The point is, do something practical. If you're like a super Bible reader, and you've read the Bible Front to, front to back once a month for years, maybe what you need to do is 
Stop reading your Bible every day and pray a little bit more. Maybe that's what you need to do. Now, I know pastor just said, don't read your Bible every day. You get the point, though. We're not, we're not descending into legalism. We want to get Jesus in front of us. If you don't read your Bible at all, maybe use your smartphone to put a verse reminder so that you see it every day. Now, you don't stay with one verse a day. You build. You build. You increase. But start wherever you are. Don't look at someone else and say, look, they're running 20 miles. I'm starting there. If you have never ran before, just put your walking shoes on and walk the block. Do you see the point? Don't make this overcomplicated. God's grace will cover all the things you need. So put Jesus in front of you. That's going to take some planning. That's the goal. That's the way we move to become the kind of people that have the cross and Jesus sitting at the center of our core. And that's the goal. You can't strain for a goal you can't see. Let's strain for that. Just like Paul. And in the end, you know what we will say when all of this starts to happen? We will rejoice in the Lord. You will not rejoice in your job, even in your family. Ah, there'll be joy. But you will rejoice fundamentally in the Lord. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the scriptures. And now we pray you take it and move it deep inside of us to work into our habits so that Jesus, your son, and his cross can be at our center. We're going to need your help. And we're so grateful there's no barrier to making that happen. So help us in it each day, right where we live, in practical life. We pray all of that under his name and authority. And together we say, amen.